When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 279. Today's episode is all about seven powerful principles to harness your mind and overcome fear. Anybody who studies in any way neuroplasticity or how taking time after, I'll say an accomplishment, but it doesn't necessarily mean that even it went, the outcome went well or went the way that you thought. It's that you actually did what you said you were going to do in trying to counter this past negative association that taking time to feel proud of it, to actually go through it in your head and say, okay, I was afraid to do this. I was afraid to sing in public. I got my guitar. I went ahead. I opened it up. I sang in front of these people. I wasn't perfect, but I did it. I actually did it. And I feel so proud of myself. If you can take that window of time, it kind of seals it in and that means that the next time something like that rolls around, immediately your, your reaction is, I can do that. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. If this is your first time giving your mind a little love, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Mind love is a habit, and the more you give your mind that love and intention, the better you'll feel about yourself and your life. Plus, it's really a win-win because more subscribers means mind love attracts even more amazing guests to bring you their wisdom. So don't forget to subscribe. Do you know what the number one thing is that keeps us from the life that we're meant to live? It's fear. Now, it makes sense, but 10 years ago, I would have thought that this was oversimplified. What about all of those other emotions I feel? What about all the really good reasons that I have in my head about why I shouldn't put myself out there or go for the promotion, start the business, tell the person how I feel, follow my dreams? Well, now I know that all of those reasons are just a mask for the root cause, which is fear. Think about it. Procrastination, for example, usually comes with all sorts of seemingly valid reasons as to why we can't do something right now. We don't have the energy, or we don't really know the next step, or it feels like it'll all be too hard, or we're just not in the right headspace. But go a little deeper, and you'll usually find that you already know exactly what to do. That the task doesn't take nearly as much energy as it takes to let yourself down day after day. That figuring out the next step just takes showing up. And none of it is ever as hard as we make it seem in our minds. Whenever this happens to me, I think, geez, if only I could have done that months ago, I would have saved myself a ton of suffering. But the truth is, those reasons were never the real reasons that were holding me back anyways. It was the fear underneath it all. The fear led me to create all of those excuses. Fear is also the root cause of the doubt that we feel in ourselves and our abilities. And this doubt sounds valid. Maybe we're not as qualified as that other guy. 
Or maybe we've failed in the past. Or maybe we've never done this particular thing before. But look a little deeper, and all doubt really is, is fear. We're afraid of looking foolish. We're afraid of failing publicly. We're afraid of wasting time. We're even afraid that we won't be able to handle the success. And the thing is, fear isn't always bad. It's a natural emotion that serves as a protective mechanism, helping us avoid potential dangers. The problem is, this protective mechanism doesn't serve us nearly as much as it hinders us. We're not hunting and gathering and trying to avoid lions anymore. We're just trying to show up confidently for the hot date we met on Hinge or throw our name in the bag for that promotion. Being hyper-focused on the negative outcomes that haven't even happened yet is not helpful. So how do we break through this natural fear? How do we start to rewire our patterning so we feel more confident and live more courageously? Well, that's what we're talking about today. And our guest is Scott Simon. He's a happiness entrepreneur and founder of the Scare Your Soul Courage Movement. He's also the author of the book, Scare Your Soul, Seven Powerful Principles to Harness Fear and Lead Your Most Courageous Life. His whole mission is dedicated to creating, curating, and leading opportunities for people around the world to be happier, empowered, and courageous in their own lives. So three key things we will learn are how our brains process fear and how we can use it to our advantage how to reframe anxiety into excitement, and a six-step plan to move through fear called climbing the ladder. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family, or you have a work deadline, or something unexpected comes up, and you're all stressed out, and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. And now let's welcome Scott Simon to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So what originally inspired your movement around harnessing fear? Well, there was one instance in particular that changed everything for me. Back in fourth grade, I don't know if you have experiences from your past where something happened and it stuck with you for a really long time. So in fourth grade, um, I was in a choir concert and the substitute choir teacher got really, really upset with me because I could not hit the notes of 76 trombones. That was our, from the music man, that was our big finale. And I have a terrible singing voice. Like I cannot hit a note to save my life. And he he knew it and he got really upset at me. So he, he kind of stormed towards me. This is again in fourth grade. He had this big, Um, Hawaiian shirt on, I remember, with these big palm trees on, and he stormed toward me, his face was red, and he looked at me and he said, you are messing this up for everybody. 
just mouth the words. And I look back on it now and it's, it's, you know, it's really funny and it's, but back then it was mortifying. And I stood there in front of my entire grade and I could not move. And in a split second, I went from loving music and singing to absolutely hating it. And I didn't sing again for 35 years. So <laughs> I, uh, in the course of that, um, spent a lot of time learning about positive psychology. I studied with a wonderful guy um, at Harvard who, who is a guru in positive psychology. And I felt like after 35 years, it was time to confront that demon. So I grabbed a guitar and I went on a Sunday morning to a very busy restaurant the kind where on a Sunday morning brunch, the line is out the door. And I opened up my guitar case and I started to sing in front of this line of brunch aficionados. And at first I could tell they wanted me to leave immediately. I mean, they were annoyed. There was nothing positive about this. I'm sure they were wondering, why is this guy singing so badly in front of us? But after a while, they they came over to my side. They were they were applauding, and kids were running and throwing dollars in my in my guitar case. And I finished, and I I put my guitar in the case, and I started to walk back to my car. And I felt a feeling. It was like this rich broth of joy and freedom and power. I mean, I almost like levitated back to my car, and I knew in that moment that scare your soul was born. I knew that I needed to share this experience with others. I came back and I wrote a Facebook post about it and the post went viral. And people around the world from that week forward have been sending me their courageous acts. And each one is different and each one is equally inspiring. So the the beginning of Scare Your Soul, which is now a a much larger organization with all these ambassadors and lots of challenges every week started with me singing in front of a brunch restaurant with a guitar. First of all, I feel like fourth grade music teachers are trained by the military because I had a really traumatic experience with my flute teacher, <laughs> which is why I only played flute for a year. <laughs> but I actually have a similar story of, around singing. When I was really young, I used to love singing Disney songs and I have a raspy voice now, but when I was toddler, like I was like, hey, mom, <laughs> I could barely talk, especially in the mornings. Kids used to ask me what was wrong with my voice. Like it was an insecurity of mine. And I didn't know I was still trying to figure out that I was different because I was so young. And I remember this one time being in a long car ride and sing, trying to sing. <laughs> um like Whitney Houston or something like that. And I could only hit like two notes because my voice, my vocal range was so short and so raspy. And I remember I, I said to my mom, like, mom, <laughs> do you think I could be a single when I grow up? And she was poor thing. By the way, this memory mortifies my mom. She's a great yes. mom. And this is not typical of her. She was probably like, okay, it's gone on like an hour and a half. Like maybe we should get her to lay back. And she, her response was something along the lines of, you know, you could probably use some work or something like that. And from that day on, I actually had a hard time singing in front of people. I did end up joining choir in high school, yeah. but I, I was really insecure to sing like on my own. And it's something that I've actually worked through with my husband more. I could do drunk karaoke back when I right. used to drink, but 
I remember being in the car with him and he kind of like perked up his ears and he's like, wait, you can sing. Well, you continue <laughs> singing. And I was like, really? I, I could just do this? Like, I don't have to hide it. And so now it's totally different. He'll drop me off at a karaoke bar just so I can like put my name in and then we'll leave during the wait, <laughs> come back. I'll sing really quick and leave totally sober. But yeah, it's the those things that especially when we're at the these pivotal ages, I was just sharing recently about how until a certain age, feedback from other people wasn't just a take it or leave it. It was a direct reflection of who I was and and my view was that, oh, well, then these are the things that I need to change in order to belong. 100%. And, and think about how many of those things are lurking in between, in, inside all of us. Sometimes we're aware of them. You know, I don't think I even really knew for many, many years about this singing um, fear that I had. It just became reality for me. I mean, how incredibly powerful is that, that somebody can say something or do something, you know, a lot of times, I mean, Lord knows this happens in relationships. It happens, you know, I always used to get picked last for anything athletic. I was the shortest kid in my grade and I was bullied. And, and so for me, athletics became something to fear. I mean, someone would say, let's go out and play. And I'd be like, oh my God, I can't do that. Like what could happen? It just became almost this new normal. So scare your soul to me is this proactive sometimes fun, but you're entering this, this area of discomfort in order to live your life fully. And, you know, you ended up back in choir. It took me 35 years to do it. But I, what was so amazing to me was for 35 years, I couldn't do it, but with a, an intentional act, right? It didn't just, someone didn't just hand me a guitar drunk in the, in a bar and say, play. I got myself out there. I told myself I was doing this. I mean, there's all kinds of, of, of brain science around this, which we can talk about if you're interested about, you know, neuroplasticity and rewriting past traumas and things like that. But in a practical sense, I got myself out there. I did it for a reason. I didn't do it well, but I did it. And then my next, you know, thought was, when can I do this again? So like, how powerful is this little intentional <laughs> action and now that's my life is encouraging other people and creating challenges and creating opportunities. And really, in a strange way, I'm just giving people a permission slip. I'm not doing it for them. I'm not flying in and holding their hand while they do whatever they do. I'm just saying, hey, listen, I'm a fellow human. I've suffered from a lot of these things, too. And I'm, I, I have fears just like everybody else does and everybody should. But... I don't let them stop me. And I actually proactively walk into the fire. And that is, that's my, that's my dharma. That's like why I'm here. And I think in a way, scare your soul is just that beautiful representation of people saying, I've had enough. I'm, 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 I'm ready to not be scared and I'm ready to take action. And I think we have a little bit of a, a model to help them, to help them do that. I am definitely interested in the brain science there, but I'm curious too, would there have been a different effect if somebody did just hand you a guitar in a bar versus you making that intentional step forward? Listen, I think uh, the answer is yes. I think there is a difference. Would it would it have uh, gone well and could there have been an, a positive outcome? Absolutely. I, I'm not in any way saying that the only way that we get past these you know, traumas or the fears that we have is by intentionally setting them out to do them. Because Lord knows... 
life happens to us in the moment. Oftentimes we have choices where we can't sit back and think and plan and we have to act in the moment. I just think that there is something very special. I'll use another example. Um, I got a phone call from one of our ambassadors one time who told me that we, that she had a scare your soul baby. Now that both confused me and concerned me for a moment. <laughs> what are you referring to when you say that we have a scare your soul baby? She lives in Long Beach, California. And she told me that she, um, she was married. She and her husband were in counseling and, and trying to work through some issues they had in their marriage. And the challenge that I put out to our community that week was to have a tough conversation. Didn't say what it had to be about, but find a find an opportunity for a tough conversation. So she ended up, she was in a conversation with her, with her husband at the time and decided to take a leap and said, listen, this is not working. It's not working. Like in the moment, she decided to have the tough conversation she'd been harboring. He said to her, you know what? I agree. Let's, and they, they separated um, amicably. It wasn't an easy time for her, but they, but they separated and they divorced as she was kind of, you know, spending some time, you know, marshalling her resources and healing her old high school boyfriend kind of reappeared and was there to help her through this challenging time. They reconnected, got married and had a baby. So it was this, it was this feeling in the moment I've been putting off having a tough conversation, but I now have the opportunity to do it. It's going to be uncomfortable, but let's do this thing. And it led to something obviously that was life-changing. So I really love this idea that we, if we live our life, just like, you know, you wake up in the morning and you brush your teeth or you wake up in the morning, and you take a shower. It's, it's what we do. If we wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to do one thing today that scares me, I know it sounds simple. I know it sounds cliche. You know, Eleanor Roosevelt said it many, many years ago, and it's in it's in you know many theological and, and religious traditions. But it is so powerful. It is so powerful spending your day looking for something that is going to put you into a moment of discomfort because what happens after you do that can be really magical. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says, <laughs> and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. First of all, I love high school sweetheart reconnection stories, which is ironic because I have absolutely no desire to reconnect with mine. 
<laughs> but man, the Lifetime movies and the holiday rom-coms are I'm where kidding. it's at. <laughs> you couldn't write this script, right? <laughs> no. But I think you're right about the, that intentional decision because yes, life throws us things. Sometimes we do have to, you know, life threw us the fire. So we're already in it. We don't choose to step into it. But I see that going di two different ways for people. Sometimes, depending on what that fear is, it can just be a trauma because they're resisting the entire time versus the intention. Even if you choose to have that intention in the moment of something life throws at you or you intentionally go out there and look for it yourself, that intention is what allows even just a fraction of surrender. And I think it's the surrender that we actually need in order to feel or, or accept the benefits and the changes from it. Because anything that we resist the whole time, I mean, most things, I can't think of a whole lot that actually does really integrate and cause the change that we're looking for because we're, we're just holding on to what is and our fears around it and, and all of the possibly negative outcomes that could come. It's like the opposite of a gratitude practice. <laughs> it is. And we, you know, we're raised, especially in our society, to really focus on outcome, right? Like if I do A, B is going to happen, right? And so I'm going to do the best I can to do A because I want this outcome B. And I really believe, and, and you know, maybe this is the, you know, a little bit of a Buddhist strain in me, but what, what I care much more about more, much more than outcome is action. It's actually the action to me that means the most. Like I'm going to take a step into discomfort and not really attach myself to the outcome. Just be really proud of myself in that moment for surrender, for rest, for a tough conversation, for a new physical practice, for actually sitting down and meditating, you know, all of those things that, that bring up levels of discomfort, but at the end of the day, bring us so much joy. And so I think, you know, that really is, this, this uh, trying to divorce ourselves from, hey, this is what I want to get out of this and just really focus on the action of doing it. And then everything else is gravy. If it ends up wonderful, that's great. If it doesn't and it doesn't, you know, life doesn't, this is, this is life, right? It does, things don't always turn out the way that we want them to or think that they will, is to just feel proud that we're trying, you know? It's, that to me is, is really, there's, there's something really poetic and really magical about that. I had a friend in high, in college, one of my best guy friends, and years ago, I cannot remember, I think it was like, yeah, around 2007, the pickup artist was really popular. Do you remember hearing about him? Very sure. controversial because like women would read the book and be like, what is this bullshit? I read the book. I feel like I was... I was saddened that it had so much truth because I knew so many women that those random tactics would work on, but I could just see how it was setting up for like the worst relationships ever and just like mind games. Anyways, one of my friends actually did, I believe it was his course or a program like it, where it was trying to teach him to to get out there and, and make these connections, just kind of have a little confidence. And that was one of the challenges was to do something every day that like terrified him and and crazy things because they were going out in groups like laying in the middle of the sidewalk and singing or something weird that everyone was going to judge for sure, sure. and this friend went from one of my endearingly awkward friends <laughs> great guy but very awkward in a lot of ways quirky it changed him 
for the better in so many ways. Like he was a different man after this course. And yes. I think it's something that he, he kind of carried it with him. And so I am curious, what is happening that can cause so much change? What is the science? How do our brains process fear? And how can we use that to our advantage? So first off, I just want to first tell you how much I love that story, because I think we all have inside of us this urge, this this want to lead the most audacious, adventurous, zestful life we can, right? Like it's 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 an urge that we all have. That's why we love watching movies about people doing those things. And we and we love reading stories about people doing those things, because sometimes it's not happening in our own lives. And I've always wanted, you know, I grew up very so shy and and kind of invisible that I made a decision. I had this epiphany on an airplane, actually, <laughs> where I, I basically do a, drew a line in the sand and I said, no more, I, I can't live that life anymore. And so now my life is all about that. So I think, A, there is this part of us that that is pulled and drawn towards living the most powerful, best life we possibly can. That's, that's in, inside of us. But there's a tension between that and the way that our brains and bodies want us to act and be in the world. So our bodies want us to stay in homeostasis, right? Our bodies want consistency. They want consistent salinity in our blood. They want consistent temperature. Our, our brains want us in a, in a mode of safety and consistency. They don't, our brain does not want us taking risk necessarily. And the amygdala, which is the part of our limbic brain that actually deals most with issues of fear, is like a quick trigger. It doesn't really um, have a lot of decision-making power. When it sees something that it thinks will be dangerous, whether it's something that is triggering something in our past or a Volkswagen that is speeding towards us, right? It Its job is to tell us, hey, either jump out of the way or freeze, fight. You know, it, it is, is it's reptilian in nature. So our body and mind wants us to kind of stay safe, stay comfortable. In many cases, society tells us that it wants us to stay safe and comfortable. You know, the markers of success in our in our um, our country and in our society are oftentimes extrinsic; they're not intrinsic. And so we have all of these things telling us just just don't rock the boat, right? Don't don't look foolish. Don't put something on social media that, that people are going to laugh at or, or call out, you know, make sure you're driving that nice car because you wouldn't want people to think that you, you know, can't afford something else. Um, don't, don't speak up in meetings, even if you have innovative ideas because they make it shot down and you may look stupid. You know, all of these things that are keeping us in this box. And, you know, my belief is that once somebody out there, now you can go to Neil Strauss, who's the pickup artist, and you can pay Neil Strauss to put you in the middle of the road and all of those things. And, and I have no doubt that, that that is a shock to the system in a really good way. My way is a little different. Um, I like small, consistent actions that build over time. And there are all kinds of things about self-perception theory and all kinds of other ways that psychologists look at us. But I almost equate it to someone who wants to learn how to run a marathon. You don't strap on a pair of shoes. You don't lace up a pair of shoes and run 10 miles day one and then quit or run 10 miles and then 15 miles and 18 miles. It doesn't work that way. You start out slow. You build stamina. It's not easy. It can be painful. It can be tiring. But if you do it consistently, 
the day of the race, you're going to look at yourself and say, not only can I do this, not only can I cross the finish line, I'm a runner now. There's literally a shift in self-perception. You're not just running. You are a runner. I view courage exactly the same way. When we participate every single day in something that pushes our comfort zones, we actually start to become a courageous person, which means when push comes to shove, you're going to stand up for somebody else when they need it. You're going to speak truth to power. You're going to say yes when everything inside your body tells you to say no. When, when there's a job opportunity or, or, or something that is out of the blue, when everything is telling you to just stay safe, you're going to say, you know what? I'm a courageous person. I can do this. So I fully believe in the full immersion <laughs> way of doing it. But, but my way is, is a little bit different. And I would add one other thing. And that is, I think the magic of Scare Your Soul really isn't just this daily work that we do. And none of it is rocket science. It's all, you know, it's all, it's all very, very simple tasks is that we've built community around it. So it's almost like when you want to do something and you know, it's going to push you, let's say you have to get out of bed early in the morning to go in and do something. Let's say, you know, you, again, you want to be a runner. You got to get up early to do it. If you have a running partner, the chances that you're going to succeed are so much greater. So we have ambassadors, we have participants that post on social media. You know, we, we have this whole community around people as they're tackling these courageous uh, acts. And I think that that really, it's amazing to see what happens when somebody says, you know, I, yeah, I quit my job and I, I'm starting my own business. And then you've got countless people saying, that's amazing. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm inspired by you. So what are some of the examples that either you've done or you've seen people do that are these sort of, you know, micro pushes into that courage? So I, I would say that the kind of our most famous micro courage act is buying a cup of coffee for a stranger. It's super simple. It's ubiquitous at this point. You know, everybody knows that, that, it's, that it's something that you can do. I will tell you that it fits every criteria that we look for, which is it's doable. It is boundary pushing. Like there's some risk involved. You don't know what's going to happen. Um, there's a level of connection to it. And um, it has the possibility of opening up something really amazing. And I've done it. I mean, I've done it dozens of times, if not more than that. And I can count on one hand the times that it didn't felt kind of yucky or didn't really work. You know, every other time has been beautiful and engaging and you, you, you make someone's day and then everybody in line is smiling and, and it's this simple, simple act. So, you know, the book, um, I have a book coming out and the book is full of challenges and writing prompts and suggestions about how to lead your life um, how to, for, you know, how to be courageous in forgiveness and in gratitude and, and in, in creating more energy in your life. But I think when, when people ask, I say the buying a cup of coffee for a stranger is probably our most, is our most famous one. I did, I was speaking the other night and I, I offered a group of probably 150 people, another one, and it had to do with kindness. We, um, the topic of the of the talk was kindness. And I thought to myself, how can I challenge a group of 150 people around kindness? And so I really thought about it. And I think in many cases, many of us, you included, I'm sure, are very kind. We're we're just kind people. We do we do kind things in life. 
But the one situation often that we're not kind is to ourselves. Self-criticism and holding ourselves to a higher standard than, than, than we should, giving extraordinarily to other people and not focusing on self-care. So I was thinking about it and I said to this group, I want you to go home and I want you to ask your loved one, child, parent, significant other, ask them a question. Ask them, why do you love me? Now, most people don't ask that question. They may tell other people why they love them, but they don't ask that question because it feels self-serving. It feels kind of like you're fishing for a compliment or you don't know what that person might actually say. And maybe it'll burst this bubble of how you think they feel about you. But it takes a little bit of confidence. It takes a little bit of risk. But I sent 150 people home from this event, getting ready to ask their significant others to sit down and they had to ask them why they love them. I cannot tell you the feedback that I have gotten since. It is like this avalanche of love and thank you so much. And it was free. It was easy. It's the simplest question in the world. But people don't ask it oftentimes because they're afraid of what the answer might be. So we have hundreds of these, and, and some are more physical, some are more relational. But but this is what but this is the sandbox that we love to play in. I did a similar challenge for myself and I actually included it in one of the courses I launched a few years back when actually this started years before I actually ended up doing it. I was a part of some entrepreneurship course and they challenged me to reach out to people and ask what my superpower was. And I was so terrified for some reason, like it just seemed so vulnerable. Looking back at that time in my life, it was during a time that I was still partying a lot, I wasn't really making the best decisions. So I was kind of worried the responses were going to be reflected back on what I already knew. <laughs> like yeah. now's the best, <laughs> not the best time for acting feedback, asking right. for feedback on my performance. <laughs> right, but right, then right. a couple of years later, I was fed up. I was really trying to find purpose in life and figure out what I was going to do. I had all of these different interests. I was good at a lot of things, but I didn't have that one thing. And so it was in the search for that. And I took a different entrepreneurship course and with Pat Flynn and he encouraged me to do the same thing. And this time I kind of stood in my power, but I deflected a little bit to make it easier for me instead of saying like, hey, I would like to know what my superpower was. I, I said, I'm taking a course on entrepreneurship and they're challenging me to do this. And that just kind of softened it a little bit. Sure. That way it's not me asking, they're making me ask. <laughs> so I got 11 different responses from people in different areas of my life. And I've talked about this a lot on the show because it was such a life-changing moment for me. Yes. I got the best feedback from people. Everything was so heartwarming. But a lot of the things were things I did know about myself, things I saw in myself too. But there were other things that I didn't see at all. And one of those things was that I was able to take information from tons of different sources and even fields of knowledge and find yeah. what they had in common and be able to deliver it to people in a way that they could understand. And that gave me the idea for this podcast. And so it changed my whole life. It changed what I was willing to do because it changed the way I saw myself because I was seeing myself yes. through a new perspective. And if you hadn't had the guts, and yet there was a little push there, but if you hadn't had the guts 
to put it out, first of all, to take the course in the first place, right? Like there, all of these steps that you took ended up opening doors that were, that had some risk in them. There was a little discomfort in them, but look at the end result. And, and, you know, I talk to so many people, I do, I do coaching and I lead some meditations and there are so many people out there who just don't know how to take that first step. You know, they just feel stuck in, in positive psychology. There's this concept of the downward spiral and the upward spiral that, you know, if you're feeling apathetic and you're feeling stuck and you don't do anything about it, then it kind of spirals downward. And obviously it goes into anxiety and, and depression. But if you start taking positive action, you can reverse that trend. And then it actually, the momentum goes in the other direction towards happiness and joy and meaning. And so I get to be kind of this witness to all of these people doing things in their lives that um, that are that are reversing that trend. And it really doesn't take, you know, many people think when they hear the word courage, I always say courage with a little bit of a grain of salt because they think it means leaping out of an airplane or quitting their job and and moving to another country. And, and really, to me, it is all about small acts of pushing comfort zones. And for some people, courage is just getting out of bed in the morning. And, and if we can do it consistently and do it in community, inspire each other along the way. Um, one of my first ambassadors, who I love dearly, her name is Sarah Marie. She actually um, wrote a little vignette for this book, is super tough. I mean, she's a dancer and she's a bodybuilder and both of the sides of her head are shaved. I mean, she's a total badass. And I said to her, I want you to come up with your own scare your soul challenge. I don't want to give you one. I want you to come up with your own. And she thought about it for a week and she came back to me and she said, I decided what I'm going to do. I'm going to hold hands with somebody and walk for five minutes in a mall. And I kind of went, huh, okay, why, why is that courageous for you? Because for me, that is literally the easiest thing that I could ever do. She's like, I'm going to grab a stranger's hand. (laughs) (laughs) It was actually, strangely enough, it was, it was her, her guy friend's hand. And so I said, why? And she told me that she was, she came from an abusive home and she never wanted to touch anybody. She was, she didn't want to hug. She just, the whole concept of physical touch was, something she was not comfortable with. So for her, walking in the mall, holding hands with somebody was an ultimate expression of courage. And for me, grabbing a guitar and singing in front of a restaurant was an, was an ultimate expression of courage. And then the key thing was we inspired each other. Like there wasn't this sense of I couldn't identify with her or she couldn't identify with me. It's that she made me feel more courageous just by hearing her story. So part of what I do in Scare Your Soul and and certainly what this book is about is stories, not of people who have conquered countries or, you know, done things that, that that are historically mammoth. It's actually really small things that changed people's lives. And, and, and that's what I love about it because there is no, um, there's no separation. There's no any gender, any background, any geography. We're all humans. So there's no barrier for anybody taking on this work. And it's it's just so powerful. So I have always been the one in the group. And I think that's part of it. It's the identity factor of it that is willing to take risks. I'm certified in skydiving. I'll be the first to volunteer for anything. I will easily get on, on a stage in front of thousands of people not even knowing what I'm going to be talking about if somebody gives me the opportunity. Yep. But I 
sometimes cannot make myself, and by sometimes I mean I don't think I've ever, I cannot make myself tell a masseuse to go softer or harder. (laughs) At all. And it's funny because you were telling that story and it's been something that, I mean, I just got a massage the other day and I'm like, why couldn't, actually this last one was really good, but the one before that, I was like in pain half the time and then part of the time she was going too soft. And I sat there the whole time thinking about how to say it out loud. And I thought about it so much that it's like I created this barrier and I could not make any sounds whatsoever. And while you were telling the story about the woman with the hand holding, a memory popped into my mind. And I'm pretty sure this is what it has to do with. In fourth grade, we'd have movie days every other Friday and this one girl would brush my hair. If I gave her any feedback on it, she'd stop. And I did not want her to stop. And I'm pretty sure I have this big fear (laughs) that my masseuse is going to be like, nope, not doing you anymore, despite the fact that I'm paying her. (laughs) But a lot of times we have these dumb associations. And I know one of the things that you teach is positive reframing. So how does that work? Yeah. So let me just say one thing to that, because I think that that is so amazing. I'm so happy that you (laughs) divulge that. That is so incredible. And so, by the way, so human. How isn't it amazing that you can fling yourself out of a, out of a Cessna at 14,000 feet, but you can't say (laughs) to the person you are paying to massage your back, who does it all day long, you can't tell that person to do it. And so that that to me is like there's so much fun and interesting work in that. I took a uh, a workshop one time, a a, um, a it was called a fearless a fear a get fearless workshop, which by the way I think is complete BS. I don't think that there is such a thing as being fearless. I don't want to be fearless. And there's this whole kind of sales effort out there now in books and 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 podcasts about how to 10 steps to be fearless or what whatever, which I think is is absolutely the wrong mentality to have. I'd rather dance with my fears and 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 understand them and 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 move with them than to try to crush them. But that's a totally different story. Anyway, the woman who led this actually gave us a a uh, a story that has stuck with me ever since. Somebody asked her, and I'm guessing she's in her mid-60s, what her favorite color was. And she said, my favorite color is green. Great. She then took some time and thought about, why why is green my favorite color? Like, really? Like, let me wind this tape back. And it wasn't fourth grade, but it was actually kindergarten. She traced it back to a conversation she had with a boy she had a crush on in kindergarten who said that green was his favorite color. And to get in good with this cute boy who was sitting next to her, she said, mine is too, and then never rethought it. <laughs> this never sounds like something I would do. <laughs> rethought. Okay, so, you know, it. this is the area of life that just is so fascinating to me that we're we're leading our lives with all of these deep assumptions within us about what we can do, what we can't do, what we're afraid of, what we're made of, you know, and, you know, my view is we got to get out there and practice and push. Um, There is very little that comes my way where I have a choice of saying yes or no that I don't say yes to. This whole epiphany that I had on an airplane was when I was 21, I was flying overseas for my first real job to teach English to um, Holocaust survivors. And I had a panic attack on the plane because I thought there's no way that a shy, worthless kid like me was going to be able to do this. I was already plotting how I was going to get home before I even landed. And I had this panic attack and I 
I opened up a spiral notebook that was in my backpack and I wrote out in, it literally tumbled from my pen, do one thing a day that scares you. That's what I wrote. And I actually had to sit there and look at it and think, what, what did that really mean for me? I knew I wrote it, but what did it mean? And what it meant was every day for the year that I was going to be there, I needed to do one thing that pushed my comfort zone. And that's exactly what I did. And I wrote, I wrote what I did in, those, in that spiral notebook. A lot of those examples have ended up in this book. And that year changed my life. It wasn't the getting on the plane and going there. It wasn't the teaching, even though that was hard and challenging and emotional and raw. It was the day-to-day practice. It's almost like a gratitude practice helps you look for things all day long that you're grateful for. It's called benefit finding. This is exactly the same thing, except it's courage. It's looking for those little moments where you want to shrink back, but you actually push forward instead. And that kind of intentional practice is, like you said, it's life-changing. One thing leads to another, one door opens to another, and then all of a sudden you have this incredible podcast, all because you were brave enough to take these little actions that opened up that door to you. So that whole process of opening the door is something that we can all do. We just have to abide a little bit of discomfort each and every day. It's hard to do, but I find that anytime that I make that intentional focus of like, okay, yes, I'm going to do this thing that my whole body is telling me not to do, whether it's fear or usually it's just fear, but (laughs) fear or disgust or whatever. If I take note of the positive effect afterwards, I am so much more likely to come back. And I think so often we're living so much on autopilot. Yes. That's why I think the intentional choice of doing something automatically kind of kicks that in. But if life throws something at you and you do it, a lot of us tend to still be thinking about the negative, even though we just accomplished something awesome. But instead, I will sit there and be like, okay, well, what good came from this? And anything, even new habits that I do, I'm always encouraging people with like meditation. Yeah, so you showed up to your meditation cushion for 10 minutes and you fought through it and you thought about how bored you were. Are you likely to come back tomorrow? Probably not. But if you sit there afterwards and think, I feel more peaceful than I did before, or like think about before, how am I feeling right now? Go into the meditation, come out. How do I feel after that? Whatever change you're trying to make and ask yourself, well, how do I feel that I actually did this when I've been saying I'm going to do it for six years? Or how do I feel? Whatever the positive association is, if we can just bring some light on that, I feel like the changes happen so much more quickly. They they really do. So in the book, I have a um, kind of a sequential model that if people kind of don't know when to start or they're confronted with the situation and they don't know whether they want to proceed or not. And it's called the ladder, L-A-D-D-E-R. And the R is rewriting and rewiring. And this is exactly what you're saying. And the and it, anybody who studies in any way neuroplasticity or there's actually a great, um, Andrew Huberman has a great podcast on this um, where he talks about how taking time after an I'll, I'll say an accomplishment, but it doesn't necessarily mean that even it went, the outcome went well or went the way that you thought. It's that you actually did what you said you were going to do in trying to counter this past negative association, that taking time to feel proud of it, to actually go through it in your head and say, okay, I was afraid to do this. I was afraid to sing in public. I got my guitar. 
I went ahead. I opened it up. I sang in front of these people. I wasn't perfect, but I did it. I actually did it. And I feel so proud of myself. If you can, if you can take that window of time, it kind of seals it in. And that means that the next time something like that rolls around, immediately your, your reaction is, I can do that. I can, I can do, I mean, if you fling yourself out of an airplane, you land, you know, you go skydiving, you land and you immediately move on to something else. Great. You did it. But if you landed and you, you know, took off your parachute and you sat with a couple people and said, do you realize what we just did? Do you realize what we, what we just overcame? Just the physics of what we just did and all the years of not doing this. And now we just did this. It is, it literally shifts the way that our brain processes it. And so, I mean, this is a key part of the work that we do. And again, even little steps when we take time to slow down, breathe, and think about what we did, it it literally seals in the experience. What if you take that step, you push yourself, and the outcome is what you would consider disastrous? And so it could possibly sort of seal in this belief that going stepping through your fear isn't worth it, or I knew something like this would happen. How do you make sure that it doesn't create the wrong sort of association? Or what do you do to reframe that in case it does? Yeah. So first off, there are no guarantees in life. And I think part of the, you know, this is why people read poetry. This is why people have a spiritual practice. You know, this is why, you know, the Buddha said life is suffering, that things aren't always going to work out the way that we want. And and sometimes it's true. We we try something or something happens to us and the result is tragic or it's disastrous or or it hurts in some way. And I think being realistic about that is important because we're not living in bubble wrap, right? We're not living... Um, in 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 a comfortable you know bubble where where nothing ever is going to go awry what i tend to do is to as i said before a always have an accountability partner if i can somebody to remind me of why i did this in the first place even if it didn't go well i also think a sense of humor is pretty damn important here because if if I didn't like singing and I sang in front of a group of people and everyone booed me, right? Like it didn't go well. Everybody just said I was, I was terrible. You know, walking away and saying, okay, like it's not life or death. I tried it. It didn't work. And at the end of the day, at least you can be proud of yourself for trying. And that I think is, it's like an underrated virtue in today's world. We're so much more about achievement and outcome and, and what did we get from something and what did it look like on social media and who responded and who liked. But how about ask the question, how about you? How did it feel internally, the fact that you actually did it? And you know, like I said before, if, if the outcome was predestined, life would be easy. We, there would be no such thing as courage because we would, ne- we would always know and we don't know. We don't know when we get on a plane flying to another city, when we land and walk out that door, what adventure is going to happen to us. Some of it may be great. Some of it may be uncomfortable. And some of it may be sad and hard. But it's all part about the living a human life, this, this beautiful tapestry of joys and tragedies and and as I call it in the book, 90 degree turns, like you think your life is going in one direction and all of a sudden something happens and it goes in a 90 degree direction. And, and then that's, that becomes your life. And that's, 
beautiful too, because it's opening up all kinds of doors for you. So I don't want to live a bubble wrapped life. And I do open myself up for failure and rejection and, and hard times, but I'm proud of myself that it all stems from a position of courage that I am, that I'm taking, I'm getting off the couch, I'm getting out of the bubble wrap and I'm taking action. Yeah, that's really helpful because we can't always expect things to go perfectly. And the thing is, is most of the things that we hold ourselves back from, from fear, like we wouldn't have this deep desire if there wasn't something that was meant for it, you know, like meant for us with that path. And so it's more than just, oh, I'm, I'm not going skydiving for the one and only time today. You know, most of the time it's like, I'm not writing that book or I'm not quitting my job to do this thing that I feel a pull towards. And, and I know that you talk about that too, about how our dreams illuminate what we truly desire in our lives. But one of the things that you kind of go deeper in that is that you say that our dreams make us, uh, how our dreams make us feel is so important to understanding their power. Can you elaborate on that? Sure. I think there is a, there's an internal guidepost that certainly most meditators have in their, that's an arrow in their quiver, but in many cases, um, the rest of us don't. And that is this concept of getting in touch with how, how we feel, not just what we're doing or what we're seeing or what we're scrolling or, you know, it's, we're very rarely bored in life. If you, if you try to think about the last time that you were actually bored, um, most people can't answer that question. Um, they're not paying attention to what their internal landscape looks like. And most people think when they when they think about, you know, dreaming towards goals, they think about that extrinsic goal as the outcome. What I really push people to think about is what is that? How does that thing make you feel? How does it make you feel? Because at the end of the day, life changes. We change um, our Financial situation changes, our geographic situation changes, our health changes, the health of people around us change. But the only thing that can really be consistent is the way that we're perceiving the world. So when I have a dream, so I say it very clearly, and it's incredibly embarrassing in the book, that my dream always when I was young was to be a rock star. Always, always. I used to make guitars out of paper mache and strap them around me. I'd lock my door and I'd put like the Beatles white album on and I would literally like leap around my room with this ridiculously large paper mache guitar. And and it was like this this dream that stuck with me for years and years and years. And then once I started to do this work, I took some time to think about it. And what I what I really began to realize was when I was young, nobody listened to me. No, I mean, I, I was, I couldn't speak in class because I was so shy and, and the bullies made sure that I wasn't going to talk any more than I had to, or else they would pummel me. So to me, being a rock star meant that people actually wanted to hear what was coming out of my mouth. Now, of course, if, you know, Eddie Vedder invited me on stage to play with Pearl Jam, would I say yes? Hell yes, I would. But I now realized it's how I want to feel. And that's why, to your point, I love speaking. I love, I love speaking to groups. I love uh, motivational talks. I'm not a rock star, but I'm speaking in a way that's moving people. And that's the feeling that I wanted. 
So in the book, there's a, there's a whole chapter on dreams, and it really is about digging deep into not just the goal at the end of the dream, not just the, just the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, but how do you want to feel when you get it? Because that's what I want people to tap into. And that's such a key part in reconnecting to our bodies, which so many of us have disconnected from, especially even when you think about anxiety or depression or, or fear. We think of that as like a mental status, like, oh, yeah, I'm anxious because all of these thoughts in my mind. We don't even realize that actually there's a lot of body things happening as well. And sometimes if you just tune into whatever sensations are happening in your body, you realize it's not quite as scary as your mind is making it out to be. It's like, oh yeah, so my chest is a little bit tight and I'm a little bit quivery and whatever your feelings are, it's like, I, I choose this when I choose like a, a thriller on Netflix. <laughs> Why do I feel like it's, I cannot handle it in this situation where I'm just thinking about possibly doing something? That, that's exactly right. That's exactly <laughs> right. That's exactly right. So, you know, you're, you're illuminating this and it happens to all of us and it happens every day. It happens hundreds of times a day. So to me, the the kind of fun and engaging and powerful part is if we can actually pay attention to that and not let those thought worms pull us away, but actually focus on those things that are going to move us forward in life. You know, the a big issue for me is social connection. It always has been in my life. I'm also somebody that's really comfortable speaking to 700 people, but when one person kind of corners me in a room and engages me in conversation, I'm I'm much less comfortable. And, you know, that, you know, knowing that and being able to actually force myself to engage with that person ends up creating relate. I can't create a relationship with 700 people, but I can create a relationship with one person. So if I don't allow myself the space to feel those feelings, feel the discomfort, and then actually move forward and do it, I'm missing out on this. There's a, there's a part of the, uh, the book that talks about sliding door moments. Remember that movie sliding doors with Gwyneth Paltrow, where her life is kind of bifurcated into two because of uh, the Great subway movie. closes. <laughs> you know, I, I think all the time, what would have happened if your car broke down and you didn't make it to something or, or something deterred you and you didn't end up in a place where you met one of your closest friends. We can all picture those situations, right? Or attended a course and, and then all of a sudden it led to you leading a podcast. Where I take that is we have those moments every day. We have those opportunities every single day. And fear blocks them. But curiosity and courage open up those channels. And you never know that next interaction you have may be with someone who you will never forget for the rest of your life or someone who tells you something that changes the way you think for the rest of your life. Or maybe it's a new career or a new anything, but fear and our, our focus on protecting ourselves blocks those. So my goal is to really encourage people in a really human way to push, 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 and then the Scare Your Soul community applauds, hugs, surrounds, and, and makes sure that there's there's kind of this mutual inspiration going on. Yeah, I do feel like feedback from other people, whether it's positive or negative, has such an effect on us. And so we can't really control some of the negative feedback that we get. So I like to have backup plans. Like I already know in my mind what I say. One of those things is, I see it as an insight into the ways they hold themselves back. And so I immediately, when I'm getting negative feedback, it's not about me, it's about them. And I think, 
oh, wow, I, I end up having compassion. It's like, wow, that is the way that Pete is, holds himself back on a daily basis. I, I really wish him the courage to move through that, you know? And then all of a sudden I'm sending like loving kindness outwards and it doesn't affect me as much. But I know you also talk about our choirs and our catalysts. How can we engage those people to kind of help encourage these new courageous lives? So I, I really think that if at all possible, people should have two types of support systems in their lives. And when I say support systems, it could be one person each. It doesn't have to be 15 or 20 people. Your choir is the group of people that provides you unconditional love. They're the people who are just going to be there for you. Um, they're going to speak truth to you, but they're going to do it with love. And they're those people that we can go to when we need support, guidance, when those things, as you said before, things don't go well, right? We, we put ourselves out there and it didn't go well, that that we know that intrinsically they just love us and, and, um, and always will. Our catalysts are the people that push us. Those are the people who say, I love you, but you can do better. You can do more. You can grow. I have, uh, when I was getting my degree in positive psychology, one of our professors, Maria Sirwa, um, had us actually write out who the members of our choir were and who the members of our, our catalysts were. And um, I, I realized very early on that they were much smaller than I had expected. And it really made me realize that many of my relationships were kind of superficial, feel good, nice, warm acquaintances, but not the kind of people that were going to sustain me. And so I never in this book say that this work is going to be easy. It's it's going to take effort and it's going to take commitment. And, and it really helps when you have support systems around you that, that can be there for you as you do it. Um, I will tell you that I think this work is pretty damn addictive. Like once you start, like anybody who does a gratitude practice, you know, you start really getting excited about paying attention to things that are that you're grateful for. There are little mini communities that are cropping up of people who are in Scare Your Soul. I have WhatsApp groups of people who send one courage um, update to each other every single night. So groups of 12. I moderate some of them. I don't moderate others, but it's totally organic and totally free. And it's just people supporting each other. They're either they're either kind of in the choir or they're a catalyst. But both of those groups are, I think, really essential to, to really the hard work of being human. Like, it's easy to sit on a couch and not go anywhere or think anything. It's hard to get out in the world and give and serve and volunteer and grow and, and feel and talk and, and speak up for people. That's, that's work. So to do it with, a, with compadres to me is is so wonderful and so helpful. So in those chapters, I really give people guidance on finding your choir, finding your catalysts, and really a thanking them and engaging them so that they're part of your they're part of your life's journey. Yeah, when I look back on the last like 10 years of my life, I can't even quantify how much of my success is due to having a support system like my husband. You know, a lot of my success, really all of it, <laughs> happened after I met him. Would I have done it without him? I hope, but I, I don't know. And we have these pep talks with each other. And when something does go wrong, we lift each other up and we see that as one another's role. Like if we're going to be a team, we are one energy. If one of us dips, 
I see relationships where then the other one dips and you beat the other one up for dipping and that doesn't help anybody. But it's like, oh, well, there's only one of us up here. We got to pull the other one back up. So we're both floating, you know, and that was my favorite part of living in L.A. was that I was always surrounded being in WeWork and being a part of entrepreneur circles. I was surrounded by people who were automatically pushing themselves and so or who were constantly pushing themselves. So it it just became automatic. I was surrounded by that and I was seeing it all the time. And so it's something that I've had to rebuild since moving to a small mountain town. So I love that advice. But I love giving listeners something to focus on for the week. And I like the idea of this sort of daily practice of looking for these tiny moments. So what does that look like practically? Is it something that you start out the day with and you plan it out? Are you just sort of having your mind open, something that scares me and waiting for the opportunity? How does it look? So great question. So in the book, there's actually an entire chapter, which is a week. You literally, it, it, it takes you through exercise, cold water immersion, learning something new. It's very prescriptive. So some people love having that kind of set schedule, but I would tell you this. I think the easiest and best way to proceed is to put a post-it note above your sink when you're brushing your teeth in the morning that says, do one thing today that scares you. That's it. I One of our ambassadors tattooed it on the side of her chest because she wanted every day to remember this message. I don't think you have to do that. Although if people want to tattoo scare your soul on them on themselves, I, that's great. But a post-it note that just sets an intention for the day. And I promise you over the course of a day, there will be a decision point. There'll be a choice to be made. There'll be an interaction that will invite either shrinking back or moving forward. And The goal that I would suggest is in that moment, if it's safe, of course, move forward, move forward. And so I think do it for a week. And and I think honestly, after a week, it it starts to get ingrained and you start to say to yourself, you know what? I don't want to just lead a normal day anymore. I I want to push because you know what? I, I did this thing on Wednesday and I met this incredible person who's two offices down from me and I, I was always too intimidated to talk to them. But I decided to push myself. And you know what? They think exactly the way that I do. And we're going to work together on this project. And it's super exciting. And everything starts to build. And everything starts to build. So it is, um, in my mind, it's as simple as a post-it note. It's a mindset. It's a practice. And you know, in the book, there are dozens of writing prompts that can get people thinking about different ways to express courage. Um, but this is us humans leading a human life and um, making choices and decisions every day. And I think that's really where every, that's where the rubber hits the road. Well, there's so much to work with just in this episode alone, but I know that there's a ton more resources in your book. And like you said, it even kind of goes through step-by-step with daily practices and ideas to get this kick started. So for listeners that are interested in learning more, connecting with you and your communities, where's the best place for them to go? Sure. ScareYourSoul.com is the best place to go. Um, that's where you can sign up, get our um, our weekly newsletter that has all the challenges in it. It has blog posts in it. Um, on our website, there are free challenges. There's a free quiz that will guide you into what are the most powerful areas of courage for you. Um, you can connect with ambassadors. Um, and then obviously on social media, on Facebook and on Instagram, that's where our community oftentimes posts uh, the results of their challenges 
communicates with one another um, and supports one another. So, but scareyoursoul.com is really the, the, the kind of main hub. And then um, you can also find information on, on the book there as well, which was terrifying and amazing to write. And I'm so excited that it's coming out into the world. Um, it's um, one of the most powerful, engaging things I've ever done. All the links for this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 279. Your challenge for this week is to harness a little bit of that fear. But first, get clear on what you're afraid of. Note that some of the indicators of hidden fear that might not feel like, oh my gosh, boogeyman fear, are things like procrastination or holding yourself back or not putting yourself out there or thinking you're not capable. Fear is a root emotion in limiting beliefs, which we talked about last week. So you can see how getting clear on your emotions and what you're feeling is an important part to figure out all of these things about yourself. Whereas most people live on autopilot and they numb out big emotions. That's where we're different. That's where we make the choice to actually show up, sit in those emotions and see what's in it for us. Even if it is that big, scary fear feeling, just sit there, remind yourself that it's not gonna hurt you. You can handle it. They're just bodily sensations and breathe into them, allow them to pass and then start to ask yourself questions. What do I really want? Why am I not going for it yet? What is the voice in my head telling me? What are the stories I heard about this topic when I was younger? What have I seen other people do? Or what have I seen other people achieve? What have I not seen them achieve? These are the questions that help you get to know you. So try them out. If you happen to miss my very awesome news at the beginning of this episode, I don't want you to miss this brand new opportunity to join the Mind Love membership. I have curated masterclasses around the big topics that come up over and over again on the show, like clearing limiting beliefs and getting clear on your deepest desires and priming your mind for lasting change. So instead of a single episode's worth of knowledge, membership opens up a whole platform of content for you to explore and interact with, and new masterclasses will be added every month. And this month, we have two, over a $300 value that you get for the cost of a membership, just a couple of coffees. So I highly recommend that you check that out at mindlove.com slash membership. When you join the membership, you also get the whole premium feed, ad-free listening, early release, exclusive episodes, and all sorts of other goodies. So check that out at mindlove.com slash membership. You can also find all of my sponsors at mindlove.com slash sponsors. And if you really enjoyed this episode, take a screenshot and share it on social media. Tag Mind Love Melissa and Mind Love Podcast, or send it straight to a friend that you know that needs it. Thank you so much for being here. And thanks for giving your mind a little love today. And I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week.